Good morning. Today's reading is Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. The lame beggar healed. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Redemption Church. Try it again. Good morning, Redemption Church. All right, that's more like it. So my name is Stephen. Uh, I'm one of the leaders. I'm on staff here with Redemption Tucson. Typically, like Dave said, I'm up here leading the music. But from time to time, I get to preach, which is always a privilege and a joy. And I just want to say, what an exciting season it is at Redemption Tucson. Like, what an exciting season it is at Redemption Tucson. You just look at down the line. You, you see lives are being changed. People are getting baptized. People are getting saved. Communities are starting. People are getting plugged in. We see leaders being raised up. Man, this is good stuff. This is exciting. And I want, I want to fill you in on, on one thing here uh, as an aside. And, and I love that Dave spelled this out last, last week. You can listen to the end of his sermon. Um, we don't, we're not striving for numbers or anything like that. And we pray God would prune us if that's going to be healthier. But the last month has been the largest month we've ever had. And the last month in our seas have been the most our seas have ever had. And we say, man, God has been good to us. Because I, I remember, and a few of us were here for this, uh, I remember leading music in Dave's house and meeting in his backyard uh, when it was a handful of us. And many of our redemption communities were bigger than our entire church. And again, we don't say, oh, therefore that wasn't good and now we're good. But we say, man, God has been gracious to us. He has been good to us. And, and one transition that I personally am excited about that we shared a couple weeks ago is the fact that uh, because of the generosity of the church, we're able to bring uh, me on full time and kind of split some inside and outside support there. And we're able to provide me and my family health care, which I want to tell you, uh, you've heard some of my family's probably story. My wife, Kelsey, she shares it um, pretty, pretty openly, but she has type 1 diabetes. And I want to tell you, like for us and our family, having quality health care changes our life. And I just want to say, like, it's humbling, and it, I'm just so thankful that because of your guys' generosity, our life has changed, and people's lives changed because of the generosity of the church. And I just want to ask, like, press into that all the more. Press into that. And I just want to say, it's an exciting season. I'm excited for this morning. We're in the book of Acts. And as we've said every week, you guys uh, can help me out here. The more accurate subtitle is not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of God. And this week, the distinction is, is really all the more critical 
Because we're either going to approach this text and see it as something incredible that the apostles did, and we should therefore look to the apostles, or we're going to look at it as something incredible that God did through the apostles, so we should all the more look and turn our gaze and awe towards God. And we saw last week, at the end of chapter 2, a big picture scope of the people of God. They were gathering and living in community on mission together. And this week, we're going to zoom in on this community to see a scene of power and proclamation, to see, as one theologian says, the magnificent combination of word and deed, all centering around and tied up in the resurrection. And so if you're taking notes, uh, I just got three uh, things for us. This is a huge text, 26 verses. So I, I really, my goal is to keep this simple for us. So I have three points and they're all tied together. So it's one, present resurrection, two, past resurrection, and three, future resurrection. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter three. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to get one into your hands. Uh, we believe that this is the very word of God. So there's going to be some people coming up here that are going to be passing out Bibles. If you do not have one, would you please raise your hand? We want to get one into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. We want everyone who ever goes to redemption to have a Bible they can learn from, grow from, that they can be shaped by, because we believe this is the very word of God. And if you need one in Spanish, just let us know. We have those as well. And so I'm going to pray for us, and you can start turning to Acts chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, just keep those hands up while they hand them out. God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your church. Lord, thank you for your spirit that empowers us uh, to live the life you're calling us to live. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd fill me and give me the words to say. I pray that the, the words that I speak and the meditation of my heart and my whole life and the tone and all of this would be glorifying to you. I pray that I would decrease, you would increase. I pray that I would get out of the way um, so, Jesus, you can be seen as beautiful, which you are, as magnificent, which you are, um, as, as awesome, which you are. Lord, we give this time to you. Holy Spirit, you inspired Luke to write this text. Inspire us to be able to see it with new eyes. In your name we pray. Amen. As is tradition at this point, uh, please turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to chapter 3. All right. Pick, pick it up in verse 1. Present resurrection, first point, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It's up here on the screen if you need it. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms, which is begging for money and, and food, uh, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. As did, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This is incredible. Let's not miss how incredible this story is. Like, enter into it. This guy has been essentially paralyzed. And I like maybe the phrase, the paralyzed man versus the lame man. I don't know, uh, just for me personally. So I'll be using that a little more. Uh, this man has been essentially paralyzed for his entire life. He has never walked. He has never danced. He has never run. He has to be carried everywhere he goes. This man is destitute. He is poor. He is dependent on begging from others to simply survive. His life is humiliating. 
Just try to enter into where this guy's at. His entire life, this is his reality. And what do Peter and John do when they come across him? The author Luke, he, he, he wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. It's kind of a one, two-part deal here. And he adds a detail to make sure we don't miss it. And there's really no reason for this detail to be in here unless Luke wanted to make sure we don't miss what is going on here. And he says in verse 4, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Have you ever met somebody who's, who's full of shame? They don't look you in the eye. They look at this man. They look at this paralyzed beggar. They look, more importantly, at this image bearer of God. And they give him dignity and respect. Don't miss this. Healing comes after humanizing. Healing comes after humanizing. How much of our ministry neglects this critical foundation of humanizing? See, ministry happens in 3D. Peter and John, they don't heal from afar uh, where they don't have to see the guy, they don't have to hear the guy, they don't have to smell the guy. Let's be real. See, this doesn't happen from across the room, and it certainly doesn't happen from across the screen. We're going to go there. Uh, here's the thing, guys. There is a monumental difference between, as one pastor says, philosophizing about ministry and redemption and serving and loving and actually going and doing it. And many of us, myself included, are really good about putting something out there for the world to see and yet not doing much of it. And I want to say... I don't think social media is bad. I help lead our team that, that is on social media for the church. I think it's a tool to be stewarded well. But people's lives aren't being changed because you put them on blast in somebody's comment thread on their post, right? Like, that's not where life change happens. I think social media is a tool to get in 3D, to get to build a relationship with another human being. I believe that. And God could do whatever he wants, but I believe that is where life change happens. See, I, I don't think this should be uh, online. It shouldn't be the end of the conversation. It should be merely the beginning of it. And I pray that all that we do online would be for Jesus' glory, the good of others, and would produce a joy in us. Let's not check out our Christianity when we get uh, behind a screen. I believe conversation digitally should transform into, should lead into real action in the physically, if you will. And what we see here is they look at the man in verse 7. They pick him up. They touch the man. They are here in 3D, getting their hands dirty, if you will. And all of this echoes Jesus's ministry. Remember Jesus healing the leper, healing the paralyzed man? This feels like it's just ripped right out of those pages. Like this story reminds me, as, as uh, one pastor said, it's like a kid emulating their parents. It's like a kid emulating their parents. And, and we, we know, like, I have, I have a friend who lives in Portland, Oregon, and they have a son who's a couple years old, and it's actually kind of freaky how much this kid looks like his dad. Like, it's like a little mini-me running around. Like, it's almost creepy what's going on there. And I know how this works. I did go to Chico State, but I know there's this thing called DNA, and you get sets from each set of parents um, and going on there. Don't laugh at me. Uh, and, I'll figure that going on. and so I know that's, you know, physically how, how this works. But also, they don't just pick up on our DNA. They pick up on our mannerisms. Kelsey will tell me all the time, that joke you said wasn't funny. You sounded like your dad. And I'll just be like, you just don't. You just got to get to my level. And then you'll, then you'll understand what's going on here. No, the reality is it isn't funny. And dad, I love you. You'll probably listen to this later. Um, and so there, there's that. But one of my favorite things is to capture this because I, I love this commercial. 
And so I think it's like a Volkswagen commercial or something. Some of you know this one. Uh, just to capture, kids emulate their parents. There's this, there's this uh, it's, it's a kid and his dad playing catch in like their front yard. Some of you know this commercial. And uh, they're playing catch and the kid goes to throw the ball. But what he does is, is nothing resembling what throwing a baseball should look like. And I'm going to try this, but I don't want, if I fall down the stairs, I'm looking at you guys to make sure you catch me. And so this kid like grabs the ball and does like something like that, which looks nothing like how you should throw a baseball. And what you should expect in that situation is the dad to be like, son, don't you ever do that again. Like, that is not, you are misrepresenting our family name. But what does the dad do? Real talk. Uh, and what does he do? He, the dad picks up the ball, and the dad does the same thing. Like, the kid is just emulating his dad in that scenario. And I want to say, if that's any of you, I played baseball in high school. I Consider yourself, you get a free lesson from me. That's going to be full of conviction and shame uh, if that's how you throw a baseball. So we're going we're gonna to get there. Um, we, like the apostles, right, are called to love and serve and lead and minister as Jesus did. We're to follow his example. And these guys, they're imitating Jesus, and they're doing it by giving this man the dignity of relationship. They're giving this man the dignity of relationship. And we need to stop turning people, image bearers of God, into mere projects. And we need to stop turning image bearers of God, stop viewing them as merely causes. See, when we reduce refugees, the unborn, the elderly, people of different cultures, if we reduce anyone, anything, to merely a cause and we neglect their humanity, we are dishonoring them as image bearers and we are defaming the name of God who they are made in the image of. These are people. That homeless man has a story and parents who once loved them and he has potential. Let us not reduce people to merely projects or causes. Let us follow Jesus' example. And this story, it reveals something about humanity as well that I, I don't want us to miss. And it's that we want way less for ourselves than what God wants for us. We want way less for ourselves than what God wants for us. This man wants alms. He wants food. And, and God wants something so much more. See, Peter, he addresses this man's true need. And it's not silver or gold or food, but a resurrection. That is what this man means. leads. They, they give him his legs. This man is resurrected, and they give him Jesus. They heal him and point him to Jesus. They are ministering, Peter and John, to this, this man's whole person and not merely one aspect of his humanity. God is in the business of restoring and resurrecting the whole of our lives. God is in the business of resurrecting and restoring the whole of our lives, yet we settle for far less than what God wants to do in us and what God offers to us. We settle for so much less. We settle for mere moments of pleasure when God offers us eternal joy. We settle for little comforts when God calls us to be united to the Prince of Peace. See, we settle for approval found and being liked and appreciated and followed when God is calling us into an intimacy without shame with him where you're fully known and fully loved. See, we strive for positions of power and influence, yet God says we will reign with Christ. See, we settle for strength found in ourselves when God offers us power beyond ourselves. The Holy Spirit dwells in us if we are a Christian. 
And it says the same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and gives us power and raises us to new life. I don't care how strong you are, you are not strong. We need power beyond ourselves and God offers it. We settle for mere behavioral modification and God offers complete and is committed to complete transformation. See, we settle to build a fragile identity on what we achieve and God has given us an unshakable identity built on what we receive in Christ. See, we settle for being good. God's committed to making us new. Guys, we settle for so much less than what God is committed to do in us, and we settle for so much less than what God offers to us. And God loves us too much to give us anything less. God loves us too much to give us anything less. Pick it up in verse 8. And, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a beautiful picture. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Notice the first thing this man does. The first thing this man does, when he's healed, he runs into the temple. He runs into the presence of God. And this man, he's not just walking there, right? Like he is leaping there. Like he is leaping there. He is celebrating on his way into the presence of God. His whole life changed. Christian, Christ has changed you, amen? Christ is, I'm gonna try that again. Christ changed you, amen? That's right. And this posture of celebration that this man embodies for us, I think maybe should bleed into our expression of worship. And I'm, I'm not going to try to make a clean transition. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do his thing here, okay? Um, so I, I see us week in and week out, and I just want to say, I've, I've seen some of y'all at U of A games and watch sports with you and see what's going on, and I see you get excited. I've seen it. I've seen you at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Uh, because we're University of Arizona fans, some of us, so we know, we know some both there. And so with that, I've seen you get excited. And I just want to say, I've seen you raise your hands, I've seen you raise your voices, and yet we come in here and this is our posture. And I'm not saying, this might be actually a very worshipful posture for you, maybe we need to have a conversation, but I want to say, if we get excited about threes and touchdowns and things like that and championships, we should be a little more excited that Jesus rose from the dead, he's saving you and calling you to a new life. You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, here's the thing. I'm up here sweating, and that's, part of it's because I'm out of shape. And here's the thing, like, I'm up here sweating. You guys see me, and I, my voice gets hoarse, and I'm going to start sweating probably here in a little bit. Like, I'm going to get excited. And my call to us is, what would it look for us to embody a posture of celebration because Jesus has changed us? And I've seen you do it, so I'm looking at you, and I'm just going to leave that there for the Holy Spirit to do his thing. You know what I mean? Extra pause for conviction. <laughs> here's the thing. Notice the gifts roll up to the giver, okay? This guy, he gets a gift from God, but he doesn't just terminate there. It rolls up into praise of the giver, the one who made it. See, this man is healed and he runs to God. But here's the thing with our lives. The more our life is good and we are blessed and life is normal. And here's the thing, when our life is normal, most of the world would look at us and say, you are so blessed, you don't even realize it. When our life is normal, God gets kind of put on the back burner, Right? But hey, when things get hard, when trials come, when pain comes, we come running to God. And I'm convicted by this. This is, my, this is me. I'm preaching to myself here. 
And here's the thing. I think many of us, if we're honest, we are using in some ways Jesus as a means to an end. And when we have that end, we don't need Jesus to get us like for it, right? And so here's the thing. Jesus is not going to be that. He doesn't play that game. He's not a means to an end. He's the Lord of all, right? Like Jesus is not the means to unlocking your treasure. He's not the key to unlock your treasure chest. He's not the means so you can get what you really desire, relationships and community and all of those things and, and, and peace and comfort and joy. Jesus is our treasure. Here's the thing. If we use him to get those things, that's our God. Jesus isn't playing that game. Jesus is Lord of all. He is our treasure. Amen? The resurrection of this paralyzed man, it's an echo of the resurrection of Christ. This man being raised up onto his feet, a resurrection, points us. It makes us echo, oh, I know a resurrection, Jesus being raised from the dead. So that brings us to our second point, the past resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pick it up in verse 11. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Powerful demonstration leads to verbal proclamation. Power leads to proclamation. Deeds and now words. The power of God manifested demands an explanation. It demands, this story demands an explanation. The people are like, what is going on? And Peter wants to make a couple things really clear. If you're taking notes, one, God, he wants to make clear one, Peter for sure, one thing very much so is God healed this man, not Peter. God healed this man, not Peter. And remember, this is the acts of God, right? This story is about Jesus' power, not theirs, not ours. These miracles that we're going to read all throughout Acts are always about manifesting and showing the power of God to the glory of God. And these miracles are about putting on display the majesty and power of God. And Peter and John, they clearly say it's not through any amount of their own power or their own piety that this man's healed. Pick it back up in verse 16, just in case we missed it. Uh, he just spells it out so clearly. And his name, and Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Church, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power from faith in Jesus. As Tim Keller says, it's not the amount of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. See, the smallest amount of faith, a mustard seed, right, has power if it's faith in the name of Jesus. This man's life, it's an embodiment, it's a proclamation, it's a display of what the gospel does. The gospel heals and restores and saves and empowers and bestows dignity upon people. 
Peter and John, they're embodying the phrase of John the Baptist that I even prayed at the beginning of the sermon that I would decrease and he would increase. That Jesus would be put on display and I would just be somewhere in the background. We need this guy? If we do, I'll, I'll plug this guy in here. Peter is making it clear that this event is all about showing God's power, not theirs. Peter also explicitly declares that, two, you killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. You killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. Repeatedly, Peter says, you denied and you delivered Jesus to death. And here's the thing about that word deny. It's in verse 13 and 14. It's the same word Luke uses to describe Peter's denial. See, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he wrote Acts, okay? And he uses the same word about Peter's denial as well as, as these guys denying Jesus. And don't believe the lie, church, that you need to get some space between you and your last big sin. But I got some issues with even that language. That you need to get some space between you and your last big sin, and then, and then God will be able to use you, and then, and then he'll answer your prayers, and then God will love you. It's built on Christ's work, not yours anyway. Do not play that game. That is a lie. Christian maturity is not found in sinning less. Christian maturity is found in how quickly you run to Jesus when you sin. I want to repeat that just in case we missed it. Christian maturity is not found in sinning less because the Holy Spirit's always revealing new areas of growth and repentance and change. In fact, you probably feel like you're sinning more. Some of you are like, amen. Christian maturity is found, how quickly do you run to Jesus when you do sin? How quickly does it take you to get to the cross? See, Peter is revealing the collective guilt and responsibility of the people. These people, these are Jewish people in Jerusalem, right? Right? They, these are the guys who asked for Barabbas. These are the guys who denied Jesus. These are the ones who demanded Jesus to be crucified before Pilate. Peter is not shying away from saying, you are guilty. And the same is true of us today. Our sin is that serious that we all stand before God guilty. The scriptures are the great equalizer, for they say that we all, all, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. That's why we do confession every week. We pause and we confess our sin, declaring we are guilty. Look at verse 15. It's going to be up here just by itself. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Us being guilty is not the end of the story. Praise God. Yes, we indeed all deserve death. We all deserve uh, these things, but the gospel is good news because it invades bad spaces, as one pastor says. This is the good news says that Jesus died the death we should have died. That Jesus died in our place for our sin. We killed the author of life, yes, but the grave could not hold Jesus. 
God raised him from the dead, undoing the curse and the power of sin. By raising from the dead, Jesus' resurrection put death to death. See, for those who are in Christ, we don't have to sit in guilt or sin or shame or death any longer. We sit in the resurrection. That defines us now. That's why we stand in the assurance of grace. We don't sit there with our heads hung low, forever wondering, are we forgiven? You have assurance of grace if you are in Christ. See, we are alive in and with Christ. We have died to the sentence of death if we are united with Christ. We have a resurrection identity that defines you. Is that good news, church? Amen? See, Jesus accomplished something on this cross. Jesus accomplished something. You notice he's not on there. We don't have a picture of him because he's alive. He's seated on the throne. He's not there. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, he takes all of your sin and your guilt and your death and your brokenness, and he gives you all of his perfection and life and purity and perfection, right? That's the great exchange. Jesus takes your sin, and he gives you his life. What an exchange indeed. His record is my record now because of this exchange on the cross. Jesus does not just forgive us as beautiful as that is. He makes us new and righteous and clean and alive in Christ. I'm going to ask for some amens here. That's good news, amen? We're alive in Christ. We're new in Christ. Yes, we are clean, but this is so much more than that. Not less, but more. Peter wants to make clear, God healed this man, not Peter, that you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And three, he wants to make clear that this was according to plan. This was according to plan. The, the healing miracle of this present resurrection, the guy being raised to his feet, points back to the resurrection, the past resurrection of Jesus Christ, which makes us long for and look forward to the future resurrection and the restoration of all things, which brings us to our last point, future resurrection. You can pick it up in verse 17. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. See, Peter is making it abundantly clear that this Christ event, this Death and resurrection was according to plan. It was according to plan. All the prophets foretold this. This is the plan of God. Moses, Samuel, Abraham, they all pointed. This is not some plan B. This is not some corner of the scriptures that you have to find if you look hard enough. This is what the Bible's all about. It's God reconciling and restoring all things to himself through the Christ. 
This is the way God is building his kingdom and executing his mission through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's almost saying, why are you shocked at this? God's just doing what he said he was going to do. God's just doing what he promised he was going to do of old. And spoiler alert, God keeps his word. God, what are you shocked about? This is what was foretold the whole time. And here's the thing. Peter's got some good news and some bad news for us here. And the good news is the promise in verse 25 and 26. You don't have to turn there, but it's the, the, that God raised up Jesus. The good news that, that this Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, I'm not going to get too much into it. God made a promise to Abraham when he said, through your offspring, through your children, through one of your line, would all the people on earth be blessed? Would all the families of earth be blessed? And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. This is fulfilled in Jesus. Because we believe and we see at the end of Scripture that at the end of the story, all tribes, tongues, and nations are standing before the throne of God, worshiping the King Jesus. And we believe that at the end of the story, there's this beautiful tapestry of all the different cultures. And we even see the different cultures are bringing their glory. They're bringing their culture into the kingdom that each of it might reflect the beauty and splendor and diversity of our great, beautiful, diverse God. What we see here is Peter saying, this is it. This is the offspring who would bless all the people because God's calling all people to bend a knee to him and he's calling people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. So that's, that is good news. There's also good news here that we might miss. And it's that Peter recognizes it's a gift and it's a blessing when God turns us from our sin to God. That is a blessing. Church, I'm not saying our life is going to be easy. In fact, our life might get harder. But I am saying this. God saves us from experiencing so much pain because he is committed to calling us to himself and away and out of sin. Think of where would you be at if God didn't call you out of sin? Where would you be at? I think about like, it's probably a little funny and honestly sad. Like, I got kicked off my high school baseball team my senior year because I cussed out my coach. Yeah, pathetic. Is like, and I think about that. I'm like, what? Like, what God, where would I be at if God didn't save me, call me out? Like, there's these, I don't know if you know the, like, dude perfect, like, videos. There's this thing, they'll do these stereotypes, and one's, like, the rage monster. And it's like, that'd be me, like, like without Jesus, Okay. And I think about, like, how much pain has God saved me from? How much has God saved me from? Because he's committed to turning me from my sin into himself. Where would you be at if God wasn't committed to turning you from your sin to himself? And that's good news, that God is committed to our growth, that God is committed to our discipleship. He cares more about it than even we do. And here's the bad news. says, if we do not listen or look to and love Jesus, verse 23 says, destruction is what awaits us. See, we, we talked a lot about this great exchange and, and Jesus dying for our sin and, and saving us and making us new. And it, it, that is true. 
But if you are not in Christ, if you do not love Jesus, if you've not bent a knee to Jesus, said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life and you are Lord of all things. And this isn't your reality. And I, I want this for you, but I can't make this happen for you. I want you to turn to Jesus. I invite you today, we're going to respond in a minute. I invite you to respond to Jesus in faith, to transfer your trust to him, to have faith in the name of Jesus. I invite you today to respond to that. Because this gospel, this death, this resurrection that was prophesied of old, it demands a response. It demands a response. There is no room to just sit with arms crossed, apathetic. It demands an explanation. It demands a response. It requires a response. And Peter lays that out in verse 19. Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter is calling for a response of repentance. And I think that word repent, I, I think carries a punch that may be a little heavier than maybe what it intends. There is a punch there. There is a cutting to it. But repentance is simply turning from sin to Christ. This dual turning, turning, abandoning sin and clinging to Christ, forsaking sin, clinging to God. And I want us to notice the, there's a threefold promise of repentance, of when we turn from sin and look to God, there is a blessing that comes from this. So in closing, look, he says that one, our sins are blotted out. Our sins are blotted out. We are, we are, our slate is wiped clean when we repent, when we turn from sin to Jesus. We are forgiven, we're accepted, we're righteous, we're clean, we're new, this great exchange. What a blessing we have when we turn to Jesus from our sin. We are made new, we are forgiven, we are, our sins are blotted out. He also says that times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord come. And I, this one to me is what stood out this time. As I was preparing for this text, this just was like a flashing light to me. This, this is a blessing of repentance, that we would have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And I couldn't help but think about Psalm 1611, which says, In your presence, near you, God, in your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. So in your presence are pleasures forevermore. I, I think about this reality that satisfaction and peace and life is found in God. We're looking for it and everywhere else, and God's like, it's found right here. Again, we settle for far less than what God wants for us and what God offers to us. And here's the thing. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I'll be honest, church, I don't know if there's anything that is more salt and light and attractive than a people who are at rest. Than a people who are at rest. Than a people who are at rest. Our souls need this. Our world is watching a frantic, anxious, panicking world saying, what is going on? And what if we were a people of peace? A people that made peace. A people that were at peace. A people that were refreshed. 
I think that would demand an explanation. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I need some refreshing. Amen? We could use some refreshing. Man, our sins are blotted out. And lastly, send the Christ. See, we can rest in the reality. Because every theologian that I read said this is pointing to a future day, descending the Christ. We can rest in the reality that Jesus is coming again to restore all that has been broken. The curse of sin and all of its effects will be eradicated. It will be removed. Death will be no more. God is sending the Christ to restore all things. God will rule in victory. We will dwell with God. Satan's defeated, destroyed. He does not win. We know how the end of the story goes. Jesus reigns in victory. And here's the thing. God, we will dwell with God on his restored creation in utter peace. In utter peace, what has been destroyed, our relationship with God and others and self and creation, what has been driven away will be restored and brought back together in perfect harmony. We will be in utter peace with God, our creator. We will be at utter peace with our neighbor. We will be at utter peace with ourselves, no more shame. And we will be at peace with the created order itself, where we were created to dwell and live. Satan wins nothing. As we sing the Christmas hymn, God comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Here's the thing. Things will be the way they ought to be. As God promised of old at last. That's the good news. That's the promise that Peter's given. Our sins are going to be blotted out. We're going to get refreshing from, from the presence of God and he's going to send the Christ. That's good news, Amen. What a blessing repentance is. God's grace, the gospel, his story, it leads us from the folly of sin and leads us to the beauty of Christ. And praise God for the Holy Spirit for giving us eyes to see that sin is, is distasteful and just folly. And he gives us eyes to see that Jesus is beautiful and holy and makes that unappealing and appealing. Praise God. He turns us to see the beauty of Christ because Jesus is alive. He rose again. We need to be reminded of this church. Jesus is alive. He rose again. He raised the paralyzed man to his feet, made him strong. He is raising us to new life. And he's coming again to usher in this resurrected life, this eternal kingdom and blessing forevermore. That's the good news, church. That is the good news. So let us turn now to Jesus. Let us turn to Jesus and respond to him. Let's pray.